Let's do it. Let's do it. Broadcasting from around the world, you're listening to The First 100, a podcast on how founders acquired their first 100 paying customers. Here's your host, Hadi Rodwan. Today we have on the show Eric Fontanelli-Nibo, the founder of Bits Academy, a digital transformation school founded in 2019. Welcome to the show, Eric. How are you doing today? Thank you. I'm doing fine. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Eric, take us to the top and explain to us how can a new entrepreneur start an academy from scratch? Yeah, so what we did was to understand that there was a lack of education in a certain field. So this would be digital transformation in Brazil. Then we began to build content, new content that wasn't available at the time. And then we reached out to companies that needed this kind of content. So this is how we did it. We also tried to stay under regulators' radar because if you want to be a master's program or a university or some sort of school in that way, you need to abide to regulation. So what we did was to use something called free courses or extension courses so we wouldn't need any kind of regulation. So this is kind of the path that we took to make it possible. That's amazing. And how did you know that this is a pain point in the market? Did you do any market research, any techniques, frameworks that you use? Yeah, so we came from the market. We already had been in other companies before. So what we did, we kind of had a sense of this problem before. And then we started talking to people, understanding what their needs were. And we saw that most of the companies tried to force technology or digital transformation without having the foundations to it. So when we saw the problems that this caused to companies, and we saw a bunch of companies having failed digital transformation programs, we saw that this would be kind of the ideal starting point. Thank you for sharing that. So how does your business model work today, if you want to explain it to a five-year-old? Yeah, so we pivoted during these kind of three years that we're on the road. So today what we actually do is uh, something that we were doing at the time, but kind of teaching it. And now we are applying it. So one of the products that we had became our main product. Explaining it to a five years old would be we apply design to documents because nobody understands legal documents. So who's your ideal customer today? And what do they come to you with and with what expectations? Today, we deal with the biggest companies in Brazil, mainly multinationals. So what we do is to talk to the legal department, the head of the legal department, head of innovation, CFOs, and CEOs. Uh, they see that people not understanding their documents is a problem, and then they will hire us 
to make a fully transformation of their documents. And then we are also able to give them a software where they can manage all these new documents and create them by themselves. Amazing. Do you remember your first customer? Yeah. What we did was we had a Mercedes-Benz at the time, and we were helping their main customers to digitize themselves. So Mercedes was kind of paying for their own clients to digitize themselves because it's kind of a market strategy, right? Because if your clients are not digitized enough to be able to cope with the current situation, you're not going to have clients. So it was a pretty interesting deal. And going forward, what's your strategy to acquire more customers? What tactics are you implementing? So right now we came from the education sector and then we pivoted into the software as a service model. So right now we are using the ABM strategy, account-based marketing and account-based sales to get the companies that we want in our portfolio. So this is kind of a three-step process. You have to have the commercial intelligence method to kind of identify who are the personas that you want to get. And then you reach out to them, uh, cold outreach. And then we have to bring, kind of bring this person and ensure that this person is qualified to make a purchase. And then we go to the closing phase. So today we take this approach, but right now trying to scale the software business, we are starting to invest a lot more in marketing, uh, digital marketing. Up to now, we didn't have marketing investments because we were bootstrapping. But right now we have investors and we are currently undergoing our second investment round. So we'll be able to invest a lot more in ads. So right now to get a lot of new customers and to scale our business, we will kind of focus more in ads and organic search. So we did a lot of SEO kind of SEO jobs and SEO strategies so that people can actually find us on the first page in Google and we do not have to pay ads or something to be there. What's your North Star metrics when you measure success with this framework, the ABS or the ABM? What are the things you look at to see that this process is working and you can scale it? In the beginning, it was customer acquisition cost because we were bootstrapping. So we had to come up with a methodology that kept the cost of acquisition low. But right now, we are looking to sales cycles because we need to have as much as possible new clients to our database. So we look a lot to sales cycles. When we think about multinational companies like complex sales, we have a pretty good sales cycle right now it's about 15 days 
So this means a lot for our business right now and also to cash flow and all these other metrics. So this would kind of be the main metric that we measure today because if my team is able to close deals quickly, I will have more clients here. So this is kind of the North Star metric. And then we have a couple of others that is ROAS, which is the return of investment in ads, and also the number of users, like monthly active users, because we need to focus on retention. We cannot just bring new clients and lose them after three, four months. So monthly active users is also a metric that we are looking at right now. Perfect. If we look back at your first 100 customers, what were the struggles you had to endure to acquire these customers? So at the beginning, the main struggle was to get noticed and kind of make people understand who we are, what we are selling, and uh, to convince them to purchase a product or a service from a company that is brand new. So you don't have the rep. This is kind of hard to convince these big multinationals to acquire your service or product. So what we did was to leverage the company on our own names. As you know, startups rely a lot on the founders in the beginning. We tried to leverage the startup's name on our own names. We had a pretty good names since the inception of the business because I graduated from a good university in Brazil. I have a lot of books that were published. I teach at the best universities in Brazil. So all of these things mattered a lot in the beginning. And this would kind of give us kind of the base for beginning to negotiate and talk to our clients. This was kind of the inception. And then later on, we began to do a lot of posts, uh, building knowledge, like writing posts, blog posts, and LinkedIn posts, Instagram posts, so that people would follow us and would see that we had great content that, that they could actually benefit from it. So these were kind of the main strategies to acquire our first 100 customers. Since we were bootstrapping at the time, we had to keep costs as minimum as possible. So we tried all, always to use organic, organic searches and organic content to build customer base right. Thank you for that. So what type of advice can you give a new entrepreneur who's trying to raise funds, knowing that you raised successfully your previous round and now you're doing another round? Is there any specific things that an entrepreneur can focus on when, when they try to go and talk to investors? You have to pay attention to your metrics and financials if you're still a young company probably you do not have the track record to show them so you have to build your metrics or at least your business plan based on assumptions and to 
give the investors those assumptions you need to at least do a basic market research. You have to bring those numbers three or five years forward so that they can see that your business is probably scaling or increasing its revenues. And then you need to pay attention because Excel spreadsheets accept anything. So you actually need to pay attention into the increase month by month so that they can see that your business is growing and is scalable. So what they are actually looking for is kind of the hockey stick or J-curve growth. So after some years, maybe five years, you have to have kind of a J-curve movement in your revenues. Also, you need to do a great pitch deck. Do not try to hold on to money when you're creating your pitch deck or your business plan. You need to do it right. These are the main things and patience because investors tend to take a long time to make their decisions. So you will probably not close this deal in less than six months. So you have to be patient and do it before you actually need it. Because if it's taking six months to raise a round, you need to begin with it before you actually need it. And then you have to look at metrics like runway and cash burn to ensure that you have enough money to go through this process. Always try to look at what your stake is. So if you're giving too much of equity to your investors, probably you will not be able to bring other investors on board in next rounds because they will see that you're already diluted and then they see that you do not have the incentives to continue working for this business since your stake is very low. So this is a concern too. So these would be kind of my advices for someone who is raising capital right now. And also someone that is raising capital right now needs to be aware of the current situation of the market. Most VCs are not investing as much as they were before, and they are also being a lot more skeptical. So they really want to dig deep in the startup to understand everything that's going on before putting money into it. This is great advice. Thank you for that, Eric. How important has been failure to you? I have done some other businesses, so I don't see it as a failure per se because I tackle it more as a learning curve, right? So I'm in my third or fourth business right now, and the other ones I kind of stopped. Kind of, I didn't want to proceed with the other businesses because they weren't that scalable and weren't that interesting. So you learn a lot from past mistakes or past failures. So that is pretty important, in my opinion, that we see failure as a learning curve and not kind of this person is not trustworthy or something like that. I know that, at least in Brazil, if a person fails like 
goes bankrupt or something, there is a lot of untrustworthiness involved. So the thing is to tackle it more as a learning curve than failure. Thank you. This is very helpful, Eric. How do you handle entrepreneurs' anxiety? A lot of you know startup founders, they, they suffer from this type of, let's say, uh, issue. Especially, it also puts some toll on their mental health. Many don't talk about it, and many also burn out at a point in time. Do you have any tactics or advice that you follow? Unfortunately, not, because I also suffer from it. So, right now, I am actually going out of a 15-day cycle where I had some issues due to anxiety. This is pretty common. You just need to try to stay calm and meet your goals and understand that you're not going to lose everything or at least if you lose everything, you will have some other things to do and that this is part of the process. But unfortunately, as much as this is kind of logical, the emotions speak louder. So I do not know the answer of how to deal with it because I see kind of the <laughs> the pressure that I am dealing with and also the consequences of it on the emotional side. And this is kind of something we have to deal with and just go along. So <laughs> I don't know how to avoid it. Thank you for being honest on, on this. One last question. What's next for Eric? The next steps would be to scale our business. We currently are the number one solution in our market. So we want to make sure that nobody or new players could kind of grow more than us. So this is kind of the main tactic right now to ensure that we create a barrier that is at least strong in a sense that we could remain the main player in this sector. And then we want to expand globally. So this is kind of what we are working on right now. We already have a big difference, which is our software compared to our competitors. And then we want to ensure that we have a business that is so different from the others that people want to hire us and not the other businesses or want to purchase our product instead of other products. So this is mainly what we are focusing on. Eric, thank you for being part of our show. We wish you the best of luck with Pizza Academy. Thanks. It was a pleasure, Hadi. Have a great day. You too. Thank you so much for listening to The First 100. We hope it inspired you in your journey. If you're enjoying the podcast, please subscribe to our podcast on Apple iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or Spotify, and share it with a friend starting their entrepreneurship journey. Leave us a five-star review. Your support will help spread our podcast to more viewers. 